previously on Two Star Two Trek. They've already unified. They changed the name of the planet. Like... Okay, but like the planetary version of living in the full house house together. <laughs> That's a great analogy, right? There's just like an <laughs> attic up top that, like, That's where Uncle Jesse lives. Uncle Jesse Romulan lives, <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> and like they all have to get along for the sake of like michelle tanner but like <laughs> they all have their own agendas they all have their own stuff going on and at the end of the day when confronted with the information that like maybe navarre uh, vulcan if you're nasty was not responsible for the burn they're like everyone comes out with like their own motivations like immediately so it really is tenuous at best even after you know hundreds of years of working on their issues <laughs> Greetings, friends and fellow Trekkies. Welcome to Two Star Two Trek. We are near the end of Season 3 of Discovery. Tonight we are covering the two-parter... Terra Firma! You gotta say it like a Nazi. No. (laughs) Good call, good call. (laughs) My name is Ryan, and I am, of course, joined by our lovely co-host, Caitlin. Not a Nazi. Yeah, who's definitely not a Nazi, space or otherwise. And we are joined by two fantastic other not-Nazis... Michael and Dylan tonight. Michael, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. I really appreciate being called a not-Nazi, <laughs> although it still kind of references my name to Nazi in a sentence, and postmodernism mm. says that that implies some amount of Nazism, so I'm not super into that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I do apologize. We just <laughs> have to be very clear, because, you know, the authoritarian runs deep in the mere universe, for sure. Dylan, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm doing great. Just drinking the blood of fascists and uh, sure. enjoying my evening. So fantastic! It's great on the rocks. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Their tea, their tears really season a broth. Nice. Oh yeah, I had my my tear laden fascist bone broth earlier today. So oh, that's heart healthy. Yes. Yep. Don't eat the rich, compost them. Yeah, so. they're recyclable. <laughs> Everything's recyclable if you try hard That's enough. That's sustainable Antifa. I don't think that many <laughs> of the fascists were very rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. That's typically, they go hand in hand. Like They, they really don't. What? <laughs> fascists almost, were notoriously poor. True. It's almost wow, true. as if absolute power corrupts absolutely. And roll credits. Thank you for joining us this week on Two Star Two Trek. We have made our point. Two minutes in. Let's dive in and talk about Michelle Yeoh and how great it is to finally have a Michelle Yeoh-focused episode of Discovery because we haven't had one of those in in quite a while. I quite enjoy her just in general in life. And like, even though Mirror Universe shenanigans can be kind of shaky at times, she's just so goddamn fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, oh, she's, she's fantastic. Great, she's great in anything she's in, and she like, adds a lot of depth. Of honestly, like it's so hard. And I know we talk about this, you know, with some of the other Mirror Universe stuff we've covered, and just off mic in general. But the Mirror Universe is a little like it's it's horny and evil, right? Like all the time. And <laughs> I, again, like talking about sustainability, I have no idea how that's sustainable, but apparently it is. And Michelle Yeoh, like, walks the razor-thin line of, like, actually giving us character growth from a Terran. Right. And it's In just, heels. It's beautiful, because it's, like, 
it's like not as much as like a normal person would grow, but for her, it's like a lot. So you actually do like, you want to go on this journey with her and it's great. Dylan, you mentioned the heels. She was rocking some incredibly tall heels in her super cool outfit thing with the big crown and the and the cool cape where she was like a vampire gold vampire queen (laughs) yeah no the outfits in the mirror universe are always great and i always like how in the mirror universe the outfits are always like a riff on what everybody wears in the prime universe as well and they do that throughout all of star trek you know in ds9 tira is still wearing Bajoran stuff. You know, it's still Bajoran, but like it's a little off. And, you know, here the Terrans, it mirrors the Prime Universe with Discovery and stuff like that. How would you compare it to the Space Force outfits that were recently? (sighs) The pants are nicely tailored in the Mirror Universe. (laughs) The pants are, they do a lot more for me in the Mirror Universe than the, the Space Force pants do. They're very like tight 60s, 70s rock star leather, usually. Right. Yeah, much better than the weird front pant cleavage that we're getting in the Space Force uniforms. To be clear. With all that pleather, do you think that the male actors have to wear, like, dance belts? Because, like, those pants were very tight. And it's not like I was, like, looking for it, but I was like, I know, like, superhero costumes, they have to wear those. And, like, I just feel like if you lived in the Mirror Universe, you'd have to wear, like, a cup or, like, a dance belt all the time. Or just risk having your dick out. Like, if you've got a gigantic mega monster dick, like, you could just just have that, too. But then, what if someone stabs you in the dick? Right. That's where they would stab you. If you are a man in the Mirror Universe, I think that you wear a titanium cup at all times. (laughs) That's fair, right? Because that would make... You don't want to show off your weakness, potentially. Notice that Willem Dafoe never shows up in a Mirror Universe episode. Right? I heard he has a Megadong. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's why he can't... They don't cast him. He's tried. That's That's not true. I don't know. We should call his people and ask that specific question. (laughs) I'll tweet him later. (laughs) Oh, boy. We are definitely off to a great start tonight. That's for damn sure. We're asking the real questions, Ryan. Man, I totally forgot. There was something I was going to ask and pose. That uh, about I don't Space even... Force. Oh, yeah. To be clear, Dylan was talking about Space Force, the armed division of the United States military, not Space Force, the Netflix TV show. No, Space Force, a.k.a. the militarization of space by the U.S. government. Yeah. They also have, like, Which the is also weird... the plot of the movie Aloha. Yeah, that's weird. They also have the com badges are, like, on their kidneys. It's very weird. Yeah, I guess they didn't want the titty slappers, so they were like, let's just, I guess we gotta put them somewhere. And yeah. they all look we- like knives, and everybody is yeah. carrying weapons at all time that are usually blades, even though they right. also have guns that literally make corpses disappear. Yeah. Right? They turn yeah. people into Jimmy Hoffa's body. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I like the Mirror Universe. I think it's kind of fun to see, like, how the other side lives. Michael, you don't like the Mirror Universe? No, it's one of the dumbest things on television. (laughs) Why do you say that? Because it's incredibly stupid, Ryan. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Do you care? Is it it just the nature of it being, like... And it's this, but evil. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's the ultimate like nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, like sci fi kind of otherism. The nineties kind of did it too, where it's just edgy for the sake of edgy. Now, mm. I like 
edgy fiction and like dark fantasy and all of, like grim dark novels and stuff, but it has to be done well and explained clearly in ways that make sense, or else it's just mm-hmm. kind of self glorifyingly stupid. And the the case here, really, where it starts for me is assuming for a moment that humans are just like this in the mirror universe. How do you guys think first contact with the Vulcans went down? Oh, we actually, I sent that clip to to Dylan. Awesome. There is an answer to that question. I sent that clip to Dylan because Dylan, you had never really delve into the mirror universe beyond like knowing the tropes, right? Yeah. I, I only know the tropes. I have not, I have not delved into it. Earlier today, I sent you a clip from Enterprise that showed exactly how First Contact went. Did you watch it? Uh, I'm pulling it up right now because oh, well, I, I remember this movie and I just need to refresh the... Is this a different cut? Well, Is this like a... Yep, it's way different because... They reused some of the footage. They reused... Yeah, they reused some of the footage, and instead of James Cromwell going, that'll do, pig, and giving the Vulcan salute and handshake, he pulls out a shotgun, shoots the Vulcan... And then they raid the ship. And then they raid the ship. And that is... And that's how First Contact And goes. that is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> because... I... Because we have... Go well, we have Vulcans here who are like... I mean, they've done First Contacts before. They would theoretically know how to deal with... A first contact that goes very quickly, very poorly. And even if the humans did raid the ship and steal all of the technology on that ship, I guess my ultimate issue here is that in the normal Star Trek universe, a normal Star Trek storyline, uh, Star Trek, like the, the Prime universe, and even right. the Kelvin universe, the whole idea of the Federation and like human, not supremacy, but human dominance over that area in the galaxy is sort of predicated on the idea that we're collaborating, we're working together, we're cooperating with other races to build something stronger than what we could be on our own. And Mirror Universe just flips that on its head, but my problem is, if that would have worked too, then the whole point of Star Trek is kind of wasted. Well, so the other flip side of that, though, is eventually later in the fiction... It doesn't work because eventually the Terran Empire collapses. Well, I mean, of course it does. Yeah, but pre- before DS, but eventually the Federation collapses. Yeah. So who cares? Yeah. Well, that's also true. true. I guess no like systems all last. Yeah, no systems yeah, exactly. last. I think that's but you know the part whole point is it. that like if if we could have just been ruthless bastards the whole time and also been super dominant, then it wasn't the cooperative nature that propelled us to the forefront of like intergalactic politics. I mean, I guess it's the Mass Effect question, right? You can play Paragon or you can play Rogue. And if you go back and you're like, I'm going to play Rogue this time, I'm going to do it. And then after like three questions, you're like, oh, that sounded really mean. I don't want to do that anymore. And then the outcome of the game's not really changed. But right. I mean, ultimately, does it matter? Yeah, like how you get there. So, Caitlin, then I, I agree that, it, but that's kind of my problem with it is like Star Trek was all about showing us a better way and using like even with like Unification Part Three, which we watched last week, where you know Saru goes through the whole thing of you know getting the the Navarre president to trust him, predicated on the idea that like he's upholding the ideas of what the Federation is, and that's why she makes her, you know that Michael Burnham is why she makes the choice to like help them out in the end. Does it undermine that, or does it still stand as its own? Thing. Right. But apparently it just doesn't matter which way we did it. Humans were always destined to be one of the preeminent political forces in this part of the galaxy. And whether we were doing right. it through being ruthless bastards and kind of playing to our basest instincts, or whether we finally overcame ourselves, started working together, got over our shit and built something greater than ourselves, meh, 
Who cares? I know which one I would rather live in, and so from sort of an existential perspective, that still matters. But if you're just looking mm. at which way works, they both do, and I hate that. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a valid criticism. I agree. I also think that's a valid criticism. I think that it also points to an idea that I- I've always really enjoyed about Star Trek, and it's that like humans from a Vulcan perspective, like they're just going to do weird stuff just to do it. And then that's how they're, we're going to like find these weird new facts and things mm-hmm. is so like in this evil universe, the thing that humanity like keeps. And I think the reason that they would get any sort of dominance in the universe, not working with others is that idea of like, American military strategy of well if we don't know what they're doing neither does our enemy like yeah we'll hook up the warp drive to the pulse cannon and reverse it and see what happens whereas like nobody else is gonna do that Um, so like that as at the very core of the human quality in Star Trek remains in both universes which I, I think is kind of interesting uh, yeah, but, just kind of the propensity for just human innovation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and which also just, I mean, again, speaks to the whole core theme of like, we, we can invent all of these great, great tech and push tech forward. But ultimately, what we do with the tech and how we, we use it is what matters. Um, and so we're getting that perspective where that I think is good. But also, I do think that it feels too cool. Um <laughs> if you really break yeah. down like the things that are happening in these two episodes, that it's still these characters that we're supposed to love. Like we're seeing the evil version of a character that you're supposed to be rooting for and, and like. And whenever they kind of show the humanity of the dark side character breaking through, then wh- all you're mm-hmm. doing is showing that people can commit such heinous uh, atrocities and still have that humanity in them and and can be saved which mm-hmm. again depending on your perspective is a good or a, a a bad thing see and i think they do a better job of like holding the line in the uh, mirror universe enterprise episodes there's a lot more backstabbery and you don't have this like interloper like you do in this episode with giorgio having like had character growth off screen for them essentially what I think is interesting about, you know, her traveling back, obviously, with the perspective she's gained, like, living in the Prime Universe, yes, there's that, but, like, you guys were talking about, there's a ceiling on what humanity can achieve through brute force, and I think it's it's shown when she's, like, dealing with, you know, the Kelpians and with, like, presumably Saru, and explaining to, like, giving away, essentially, that, like, the Baharai is something that you can live through, and that she's got this opportunity to take these these slaves they've had around them, these people these sub, they've subjugated and made, you know, their servants that can actually be so much more when you, like, actually sit down and, and treat them like people and cooperate with them. And ultimately, she gets a loyal, a more loyal subject out of it. And so it's just interesting that little, that little twist on the theme to show that, yes, she can still use it for her own gain because ultimately he defended her, you know, in, in the final shootout. But it's just, it's interesting to watch how she uses that information in a way that's not entirely evil, but also isn't entirely, like, it's still self-serving. It's still very mean. Right, it's very selfish. Right. And so, like, there's character growth, but it's like, it, it, it's a little bit. 
Right. And I think that, you know, when we eventually circle back around to Carl and <laughs> the Guardian and, of Forever! Jeez. Oh, yeah, when they add the reverb and the echo and all that stuff to his voice out of nowhere. That was when I looked at you and I was like, we know! <laughs> that was the thing. So No, I think, first... it's, I think it's the original audio from City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, uh, see, that would work from the 60s. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what that okay. was. Because, like, when we first watch it... They've dropped a lot of, like, 60s era, like, Foley into this show, which has been, like, ridiculous. Yeah, especially, like, because season two, they had the Enterprise there. and I wish they yeah, would they did all the beeps and whooshes. put that much love and care into syncing their dialogue audio in some hallway scenes, but (laughs) yeah, it was definitely distracting. What do you think about the guardian, Caitlin? I mean, it's, it's giant rock. It's a rock donut. So, I mean, we've all seen city on the edge of forever. Even people who don't watch star Trek know about city on the edge of forever. And like, he's like the guardian is like the guy who made that episode happen. Right. Right. And you forget the part about, like, you know, McCoy being like drunk on medicine and like stumbling through it. And that's why it all starts. But that is why it starts. And so there are other, like, there's a legacy to that character that's beyond that one episode. I think there was an animated series episode that featured the Guardian of Forever. Handful of novels where, like, at least from my little additional research I did, because I was just trying to remember where, like, this character showed up throughout Star Trek history. He's in the Futurama episode? Yeah, he's in the Futurama episode. It may, I mean, given, like, the, the multiple universes and stuff, it's still the same character, which is kind of funny. Um, but ultimately the understanding I came to reading about him was that like with the temporal accords and stuff, the guardian of forever started being like overly abused right? to like garner certain outcomes, which is why, you know, when they come up to him in the middle of like the, the, the snow desert, he's like, ah, I'm going to talk in riddles and be a dick about it. Cause like he has to figure out if he's even going to trust these people. <laughs> Right. And so, like, I think there's something interesting to that, just, like, knowing that this character has kind of popped up throughout Star Trek history and definitely been used for, for evil means. But um, it, it very much is, like, we don't want to come back to this planet. We don't need to see this character again. You know, hopefully he goes back into hiding like he had for the last 500 years. Because, like, frankly, it's just the reason it gets used a lot in the books is because it's such an easy plot device. Yeah. And and a lot like with the Mirror Universe stuff, it's like, all right, you do it, you get your jollies out, you know, you have your, your Guardian episode, but like, please don't go back to it. Please don't let this, let, let this be a one-off <laughs> because it's just an easy way to, to get Giorgio to like, you know, go make Shang-Chi. But like, <laughs> they don't need, they don't need to be coming back to it the way that I know like the Discovery folks would really love to all the time. Right. So yeah, I mean, the Guardian is, fine much like a lot of the things that show up that are nostalgic in discovery it harkens back to the 60s and sure with all of this star trek media coming out currently do you think that there's a tendency for them to try and solidify and correct uh, a canon that makes sense in the universe and like fill in those those gaps or do you think that they do a good job of just saying like, no, we don't have to explain it all. That's not why we're here. We have other stuff to do. I think discovery does a decent amount of explaining and not in an entirely offensive way. They, they've done a couple of really interesting things over the seasons that harken back to the, the TOS era and help make those bridges. 
uh, between Enterprise and like the NC one seven zero one, you know, era. Like, I don't. I think it's if used too often, it is a crutch. But I think Discovery has used it relatively artfully thus far. My answer to that: Canon is stupid, and it's not just in Star Trek. Just in general, canon is stupid. When you consume as much media as we do, us being, you know, you know, Dylan, you you make media, right? <laughs> I I consume media way too much. I'm always listening to something. I'm always watching something like that. Canon is stupid. Tell the story you want to tell because at a certain point, what is considered canon is just professional level fan fiction. And that's 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 storytelling in general. Well, that's the nice thing about like some of the things that are that are shown and not necessarily explained in like Picard or Lower Decks is like with all the uniforms that are floating around. Right. It's like we recognize that we've done like a bunch of different goddamn things and we're just going to have them all coexist if that's cool with you. We're not going to explain it. We're right. just going to have it be how it be. And so like there are times when you can like acknowledge it without being, you know, like leaning on it for oh look at this nostalgia value you do the member berries and like hope that everyone's <laughs> real excited about it like you don't have to do that but like you can do things that like yes that we, we understand that we did this and we understand that it's silly so can you say more about what you mean by canon because i'm trying really hard to to get on mm. board with you here and i just can't and i think that maybe we're thinking about this word differently that's fair so Canon in broad strokes terms are anything that is put out in the official timeline of whatever property it is. A really good example of this, not to immediately date this, the past week on Disney Plus they released Star Wars Visions, which is just all anime interpretations and shorts in the Star Wars like Uvra, right? Like not considered official parts of like right. the main quote unquote storyline. Right. It's not a part of the main storyline. Like you see cool characters in these shorts and things like that, and they are wielding lightsabers and they are doing space combat and things like that, but they are not in universe. Like they don't interact with Luke Skywalker. They don't they don't play in the same universe. The way canon traditionally works in big media franchises like Star Trek is, generally speaking, anything that's put to film, be it TV, movies, short treks, things like that, will be considered canon. Not books, which are extended yeah, universe. Books right? are not considered canon. Generally. Like you might you might read a book where like, oh, Saru has accidentally killed somebody. But and there's a reason like that. that nothing major usually happens in the books. Right. You know, because ultimately they cannot disrupt the naturally occurring canon that is from like the main teams that are show running whatever the property is at the moment i mean like again it gives way to like grander arguments about like what's real what's not what's you know again it's all a made what, what so quote unquote yeah, let me, yeah. Let me, let me just i think a write. good kind of uh metaphor for it is so have you played star wars uh battlefront yeah okay so you play a round of star wars battlefront as the cis and you win against the republic that is not canon to the Star Wars series. 
Yeah, so... Right, sure. yeah, it's just you're playing in the universe. I, Go yeah, I have to stop you guys. So, like, I know what canon means. Um, right, Okay, yeah. so, like, really my question here is, like, when you say canon doesn't matter, who are you talking to? Because... Almost everything I watch, everything I consume, canon is extremely important. So, when I say canon doesn't matter, canon is extremely important. And, you know, canon, having, having like, a story Bible and, like, you know, on this date in this universe, this happened on this date, this happened on this date, this happened, and things like that. I think physical rules as well are important. Like, the physics of right. the fantasy universe that you're playing right. in. Right, like, like, how the warp drive works and how the spore drive works and all that stuff. Like, having the big Wikipedia and things like that. Ultimately, to me, when I say canon doesn't matter, I literally mean... It, it is irrelevant to the story you're trying to tell in my eyes, because ultimately this two-parter doesn't matter what's happened in the universe, doesn't matter what's happened with the Guardian of Forever, doesn't matter what's happening in Discovery. Those are all devices to tell the story of Philippa Giorgio becoming a slightly better person, becoming a slightly better person. And Canon gets away in the way of that, but Canon can also inform it. So I guess my, my problem here is that without that Canon existing, we don't know that Giorgio has become a slightly better person. Yeah. Right. And like, it, it gets complicated. I, like my, my personal feelings I, on Canon. I think get what Ryan is kind of getting at, and maybe I'm projecting my own thoughts on it. Uh, but maybe just to use a different lens too, is that there, there's a tendency in the sci-fi community, especially in the Star Trek community, you know, rivals Star Wars in this, in this way where the the fans can be very slavish over the details of the thing. Mm, Right. And to be so slavish to the point as to potentially miss opportunities to tell a fully realized story sometimes occurs. That being said, I think it all comes down to how you're interpreting the media you're, you know, taking in as opposed to, like, necessarily making it a creator issue. That doesn't mean that the creators aren't influenced by that desire for that slavish nature to every detail being accurate to a show Bible or something, you know, in the grander media of things. Michael, then Dylan. I think Dylan should go first. Okay, Dylan then Michael. Specifically (laughs) what I was referring to is, um, so what's the Borg battle called where all the people die? Wolf 359. Thank you. Wolf 359. um, If you watched uh, DS9 then Mm -hmm. and just DS9 and you didn't consume any other Star Trek media, uh, Wolf 359 is a throwaway line. It doesn't mean anything. If you only watch the original Star Wars trilogy, the Clone Wars is where Luke's father died and it doesn't mean anything else. If that's the only piece of that media that you consumed. When the Star Trek, the, the series tries to explain something that between DS9 and Next Gen and TOS that that was broken between the timelines established by like those three series that when they spend right. time explaining that away, I think that's a negative because like you can just watch that episode and if you haven't watched anything else, like, yes, it's cool if you understand like the Battle of um, Wolf 359, 
but you shouldn't sure. need to know it to enjoy the story. Um, like I could watch, I am not caught up on discovery and I could watch these two episodes and enjoy them for what they are by themselves without thinking about how they fall into the rest of the universe. And if they had taken more time and more moments to like stop and just explain, not show stuff that I don't have any relevancy to, it would have made it a worse pair of episodes than what it ultimately was. So Michael, yeah, yeah. So what I was going to say to Caitlin, and now what I'm going to say to Dylan is, I I can't disagree more over what it means for these two episodes, because ultimately, the, I think the three five nine is a great example here, in that that line in DS nine is kind of throwaway, but if you know it and if you appreciate the canon, it enriches it much more for you. And ultimately, right. what that means is that for these two episodes, since the canon doesn't matter for them, there's no opportunity to enrich it. They're worse. Like, yeah. like they're worse for not including themselves in the in the overall universe and the canon. Character continuity doesn't really matter. That's one of the other things that I really dislike about these mirror universe episodes, is that the canon doesn't even make sense inside of the mirror universe. So it does just throw it yeah. all out. And it, it's just weaker for it. I can get behind yeah. hating the end of these two episodes, and it was something <laughs> I wanted to talk about. Specifically because there were none of the consequences that occurred over the course of the two episodes. So uh, Burnham with the double betrayal um, and right. Yo ending up having to kill her in the mirror universe. Like she still goes back. And then my understanding is that she's returning to like a previous point in time and is going to get to right, like redo right. re re speed run her universe and make some different <laughs> decisions, which means that right with her own TV show and all that yeah. stuff later. showing her own worthiness to, you know, get a second chance, that kind of thing. Yes. And through doing that, we're ripping away all consequences. We're watching the end of daredevil at the beginning of the daredevil movie. And right. th that is bad storytelling in my mind. I don't know. It's <sighs> see, and I go back and forth on all this stuff because like uh, canon's so complicated, and I hate it, and I love it, and I hate it. Michael, I think you're you're right in that sure. the Battle of Wolf three five nine is enriched. That throwaway line in DS nine is enriched for those that understand what that is and what it means, but that you can consume that piece of media without it, like. It doesn't disrupt it. We don't do a flashback. We don't spend time on it. Nobody has to stand there and explain the whole Borg War or anything like that. It, it's just a line and it's right. cool for those that can appreciate it. And it isn't anything for anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and a, a, a bad version of that is... The Daredevil the movie. The Daredevil movie. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So th I think also to, to what Caitlin was saying, I think Galaxy Quest is a really good example too of like... Maybe fans obsessing mm. a little bit too much over these nitty gritty parts, but then when you really boil it down, at least within that story, and you examine what's really happening there, that's how they show their love and appreciation for the universe, right? Right. And right. So it's, right. I get how annoying those people can be, but I'm really hesitant to just kind of throw off their. If that's the way they want to engage with the material and that's the way they want to show how much they appreciate it, who am I to tell them that that's wrong? And I'm not saying that that's what you're doing yeah. either, but I think that there... No, and right, I, I think right. there's just that difference, too, between appreciation and a sense of ownership. Yeah, yeah. Which is yes, where it yes. ultimately becomes problematic 
um, especially with the modern media age and how we interact with creators. Yeah, and I think... Um, and, and, you know, even just the conversation about parasocial relationships, which is bigger than we're going to cover on an hour-long <laughs> podcast. But about Star Trek. There are, gotcha there are moment. ways that it... Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of that's what I was right, kind of swinging around to is to like I think that I think sure. that Ryan's right here, and that if canon is used as a weapon to constrain creators, then it's really bad. Right. Yes. Right. Right. And that's that's where my frustrations with canon come in is when you write a really cool story and in a background scene, a character eats a you know, a piece of meat and then everybody's like, well, that character's a vegetarian and, uh, and you can't do that. And that's not, that's not real. Like, and like send the creators death threats because their right. character like, didn't act exactly the way I thought they would, because I'm not privy to the entire story. I should have it all laid out in front of me. Again, it's, it's not that, 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 you know, being passionate about things is bad. And I don't think, you know, I, I obviously don't think anyone that's on the show with us at, at any point is, is someone who delves into that kind of behavior. It's something we see a lot and it's something I, I in particular see a lot online. And so it's always something that I, you know, kind of keep in the back of my head that like that can influence ultimately how creators now process stories because it's not done in a void. It's not done in a bubble. And so it's just it's just something more of a thought experiment to think about because we do see it, you know, kind of play out in the real world, but who knows who's to say for like long term if it's good or bad, honestly. Right. Obviously death threats to creators are never good. Death threats are not good to anybody. But again, that's that's an extreme version of It's a crime, actually. You know, something that starts <laughs> Yeah. What's that? Yeah, it is crime. <laughs> it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a crime. Death threats are crime's life. Yeah, it's definitely a crime. Not in the mirror universe. Mirror universe, it's encouraged. In the mirror universe, it's just, just a challenge, get, right? Yeah. You just want their job. You're, that's your and, high score number right there. <laughs> right. Right. I think there's times, again, like, just kind of circling back to my original point, because I've taken it to the, the logical extreme, which isn't always a fair thing to do. But, you know, the idea that, like we talked about, we don't necessarily need everything explained and, and laid out in front of us. However... The mirror universe seems to be deceptive in that way because it does seem very plainly set out what everyone's motivations are <laughs> to the point where it's it's almost parody. So I, that's what I appreciate again about Michelle Yeoh's performance is that she's able to show us a little more layering to a tearing character and able to give us something else, some you know conflict and internal motivations that are again not in harmony with that very banal you know silly version of what the mirror universe could be and has been through many different versions of star trek media thumbs up big thumbs up um speaking of you know murdering people being a crime and things like that because the mirror universe everything is always dialed to 11 i do want to say i thought it was really silly and really goofy when Michael Burnham goes into the conference room and just starts throwing badges down on the table. That's a great sequence. Like, it's a great sequence, but it's so over the top. <laughs> it's ridiculous. When they went back to the bucket a third time, like, I get the <laughs> rule of threes, and I've even complained about them not doing a rule of threes on past episodes, I'm pretty sure. But, like, they're like, here's one, here's a bloody one, and then it was like, here's 50. I was just like, yeah, ah, that was silly. <laughs> like, but big points to the art director for making them sharp and pointy. That was cool. Right. <laughs> Michael, I know you said you wanted to talk about like 
the Mirror Universe in specifically how it deals with, like, competition? Like, how do you rank up in the Mirror Universe? I kind of already talked about it earlier, but yeah, it's just this... My big problem here is just that if everybody here is, like, if we're all a pit of vipers, but we've sort of taken off the veneer so everybody knows, then nobody would act like this. Because everybody knows that yeah. it's it's like if you're in a Mexican standoff, you're not constantly taunting everybody. You're trying to get them to forget you're there. But instead, they're all running around, threatening each other, and sending each other death threats. In a universe where everybody will actually just kill you because you looked at them funny, you're never sending anybody right. a death threat. You're just going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I did like the weird mirror universe opera, though. That was so weird. Opera play... I reading poem reading like Stamets was reading a poem. They were like, "What's the opposite of the ten forward concerto?" Like from TNG. What if we had a big, goofy, aerial silks opera where people get stabbed at the end? Like literally get stabbed, not yeah. play stabbed, real stabbed. <laughs> Under the rules of the mirror universe, there's a philosophy exper- or not experiment, but like thought game. Where it's like, if you take any law and you make that law the opposite, what is the outcome? And the easiest one is like, thou shall not murder. Well, thou shall kill. And like, there would just not be any humans anymore. <laughs> right. Pretty quickly. Because like, the if that's the rule that you're supposed to follow, like, there is no reason to save anybody. And again, it, it does make this universe, again, in that pit of vipers, like... Mm-hmm. not really work because it's like hey you stepped on my shoelace and now you're gone you, you, i made you disappear with my cool phaser gun yeah it's like a do we remember i forget the exact episode but i'm pretty sure it's one we talked about and it's when we see the klingons like behind the veneer and they're all like partying and having a good time and Worf is pissed off because his brother is like like mm. drinking with the enemy and he's like what the hell are we doing here these right. people are our enemies and he's like no 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 Tomorrow there are enemies, but tonight... So, like, Klingons have a way to explain away how this works. But the Mirror Universe never gives us that, and so it all feels very flimsy and silly. Do you think the Mirror Universe has, like, the TV trope of no man left behind? I mean... They don't, right? There's no way. It's like, oh, okay, that guy's dead. Like, I have no obligation to go save him. Later, bitch. I mean, that's not completely true. So you can imagine situations in which you have some sort of fledgling alliance on a starship. If one of the key members... In, <laughs> well, like, I mean, it's kind of the... Um, oh, actually, Socrates talks about this in the Socratic Dialogues, how we, we like to think that honor means something more. It's higher than just strength, right? It's not just strength, right. um, the fittest survive all the time, but there are other actors in the Socratic dialogues that say, no, 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 whatever's just is just whatever benefits the strongest. And so they talk about mm-hmm. bands of thieves. Well, there's. it turns out that bands of thieves are actually pretty loyal to one another because they need each other to get through. So on a starship, if you've got three friends who are kind of watching your back and keeping you alive and you need them, maybe you do keep them alive because without one of these key members, one of your plans falls through. Well, and I mean, you even see that at the end, like the big fight at the end before, you know, the Guardian reveals himself is the Kelpians come in, guns ablazing, you know, Tilly's there and everything. Like, how do you build loyalty in a universe where everybody's a dick. Yeah. 
I guess that's like the ultimate big thing because it doesn't matter if Einstein existed. He doesn't get there without Oppenheimer, you know, like you, you have to cooperation is a tenant and a belief for humans. Like you, you have to have it just period. So anything else, Caitlin, was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? There's like some other weird shit going on on the, the ship on discovery, but frankly, it's, it's more like season kind of stuff leading to, to Michael's favorite revelations about the switch. It's of the so plan. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, one thing that season three does particularly well is they're getting into a groove of being more of an ensemble show and the cutaways to the things like the trill and what's going on with their whole deal. You know, it's kind of wacky because, you know, with the Miura universe stuff, you don't expect to be cutting back to like normal things going on. But here we are. I, I do quite appreciate that they did do another Mirror Universe credit sequence after Enterprise did their incredible Mirror Universe credit sequence back in uh, season four of that show. But uh, it's just basically the thing, but inverted and I love it and it's stupid and it's done with a different color palette and I love it. I did have a question for Dylan because the Mirror Universe stuff, especially in Discovery, they make it explicit in a rule of the universe that Terrans are sensitive to light, which is why it's always so goddamn dark in the Mirror Universe. <laughs> and I, I was curious to see if like based on your impressions watching Star Trek to this point, you know, were there any differences you noted in how the scenes were lit and was there anything artistically that stuck out to you? So I actually didn't catch that, but I okay. will say that I think it's because whenever we were cutting back to, is it Adira and mm -hmm. and Lieutenant Commander Paul Stamets? Yeah, and then like that- Paul Stamets! That room is incredibly dark. Yeah. And so- I needed to see, and I guess there are there's some scenes with Saru and Charles Vance, the Admiral, that are brighter. But like, mm -hmm. I still, if you're gonna do the Matrix thing, just to use with it like different it, color grading and stuff yeah, like that. and stuff yeah. like you have to lean into it. I think harder than they did. Mm. I think the the costuming and such, absolutely. But uh, there's an episode of the, one of the episodes that I recorded with you guys. I talked about how much darker the lighting was. I think it were, it was one of the early DS9 episodes and like yeah. that show is darker and you get, so generally you guys may know, so you, you talk about like, I want a, a half, a quarter stop difference between the key light and the fill light. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'm pretty sure I would have noticed if it was like, oh wow, they did a full stop difference between each side of the face. It, instead of doing like a more even lighting. But I will say that Discovery is pretty dramatic lighting to begin with. Generally, you have some pretty heavy shadows on that fill side to begin with. You imagine that, in, again, in the first season of the show, there was a Terran, like, secretly living on the ship, which is why they explain, like, it's so goddamn dark all the time, is because to accommodate this dude who has this sensitivity. Yeah, I, when you said that, I was like, wait a second, does that mean that that guy's a Terran? And it totally <laughs> does, which is very cool. Yeah, spoilers, by the way. I know you're only, like, three episodes in, but you spoilers. You can't <laughs> spoil a person that does this for a living. Right. <laughs> it's not possible. Right. Uh, Michael, did you have any closing thoughts? Anything you wanted to put a put a cherry on top of for these episodes? Well, first off, I just want to say that I thought the conversation on like 
canon and what does it mean for story structure and creation. I thought that was really, really, I think that's one of the best conversations we've had on this entire show. And then I also wanted to talk a little bit, I think that the sci-fi aspect of how they explained why Giorgio is having this issue. So I've been shitting on this episode the entire time. I really didn't care for it that much. (laughs) But the science fiction behind that explanation is top tier. It's amazing and incredible, and I just Mm -hmm. absolutely loved it. The idea that the universes are, like, drifting apart, and so the quantum-like vibration of her can't sustain itself across dimensions and this much time is actually a really, really interesting idea for, like, multi-world theory, and they just explained it in a really cool way. I really loved it. So... Just one time. Looks cool too. Anytime she was like glitching out, like yeah. looks really good. And it's one of these little things, like trying to grab the wine glass and just yeah. like trying to trying to make sure no one else sees yeah. it because she's Karen yeah, she's yeah, paranoid. exactly because she's Terran, so she's like scared of people thinking she's weak, but also just that is actually one of the scariest like becoming a ghost in real time mm-hmm. is one of the most terrifying ideas around and the show just becoming nothing yeah the show just nails all of that the explanation the yeah. effect how she copes with mm-hmm. it and then how her crew tries to help her with it that was all really really well done the rest yeah, of it's yeah. garbage okay. though <laughs> <laughs> all right and then dylan Uh, Any final closing thoughts? And then we have a question for you at the end of it. Oh, I was just saying, I I really enjoyed the the philosophical aspect of of this episode. And that, like, overall, I think I enjoyed these episodes in in a capsule. But there's a lot of it has some problems that I think we covered. Yeah. So, Dylan, you are an astute filmmaker. You you aspire (laughs) to to make the films, Mm -hmm. the, the art yeah. How excited on a scale of one to ten were you for uh, for the the director cameo? Wait, there's a director cameo that I missed, dude. At the very beginning of the episode, the, David Cronenberg is in this. He's the scientist. He's the scientist, like the white haired scientist at the beginning of the oh episode. Oh my god! Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. As somebody I was who generally all week for Dylan to text the group, <laughs> I generally have to like put myself in everything that I make because of budget constraints. I love it. <laughs> well, and Cronenberg didn't direct the episode. He literally was just like, "I would like to be on a Star Trek, please." And they also shoot in Toronto, like near where he lives. And he's he's cheap. And he because... was like, he was like, "I'll basically charge you guys scale, like, and I'll show up and I'll be." A weird, oh my maybe hologram science officer. I am a yeah. moron. No. Yes, yeah, that's David Cronenberg, dude. <laughs> I love that. How wild is that shit? That's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. I think, I think he's a hologram. I think he's he not shows real. up in a in a few episodes, Dylan, and so you might want to see if there's like a supercut on YouTube or you know once you get to them. But he's he's creepy and weird and like. I, I too think he's a hologram that they have just not identified yet. I really yeah. like that character um a lot and yeah, he's he's a computer for sure. I still <laughs> think he's just the remnants of section thirty one. It would be great to like reference him to the DS nine like no, that wasn't DS nine, the, the hologram like race thing connected oh, yeah. to that. Oh yeah, yeah, and Voyager. And Voyager, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that would, would be, be incredible. Cool. But also that, that character, cool. I thought that character was super cool. But he had a very, like... Like, he, he, he was a G-Man. Like, yeah, he's yeah, a G-Man. the G-Man he's, feel. He's totally Section 31, mm-hmm. right? But, mm-hmm. like, I think he's also, like, either a hologram, an android. Like, he's not 
real, quote unquote. But yes, that is totally David Cronenberg, famed director David Cronenberg. So <laughs> just wanted to get your, uh, you know, poke your brain matter on that. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up for us tonight. Oh shit, I have one more thing that I have to do. I called them I called them Socratic dialogues, they're the platonic dialogues. I would I would feel so silly if I didn't correct that. Ah, that's enough. okay. That's all right. Thank you for the correction. I also would like to uh, just put a little addendum here. When I was speaking about things of canon, you could be a vegetarian. If if you want to be a vegetarian, that's fine. If you want to eat meat, that's fine too. But like, yeah, that's not like a thing you need to, you know, worry yourself on. And eat what makes you happy, folks. Mostly fascist meats. Yes, fascist <laughs> meats. Um, you know, Nazi bone broth is good. Like, <laughs> just be sure and use the whole body. I love this. I feel like we yeah. went full circle, guys. I yeah, agree. We did it. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Star Two Trek. We are releasing new episodes every Thursday, and next week we will be covering the finale of Discovery. The the hope is you. Part two, because it's a Russian nesting doll of episodes, so you guys gear up for some shenanigans. Yeah, because they numbered the entire season so weird, because part two is episode 13 and what part we, one is episode one. What if we put in a third part to an episode that previously was like 25 goddamn years ago, and then put another two-parter after that, and then had the other after the two-parter. Wouldn't that mess with shows that are exclusively based around two-parters? Yep, they did it. The Discovery writing team, (laughs) before they knew that we would be doing this series. Yeah, that's all right, though. We love all things Star Trek. You can catch us next Thursday talking about that. Scheduling nightmare. And until next time, to be continued.